Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Good morning. Last week, and you can get the message, you don't need to have heard it to understand what I'm about to do. But last week I told a story of a senior at high school who was very kind to a sophomore at high school because he told him about Jesus and the sophomore had no idea that you could possibly be a Christian if you were a real good sportsman. Uh, I was the sophomore in the story. Um, and sometime after that, uh, I met Jesus in my 20s and I was meant to go on a night out with my teammates at my soccer club. If you didn't have a game in the middle of the week, we play Saturdays. If there was no midweek game, we had Wednesdays off. So often on Tuesday night, it was a long time ago, athletes aren't like this anymore. Uh, it was a bit of a night out when you might consume a significant amount of uh, alcohol. And uh, <laughs> so on this particular um, Tuesday night, I'd been thinking about following Jesus for about six months. Uh, I was living in a new city on my own, and I knew I had to trust Jesus, and I, I, I just stayed there all, uh, all night. I didn't go out. When I went to work on Thursday, I walked into the locker room to start work at about 9.30, and all the guys said, where were you on Tuesday night, you loser? We had a great night. Everybody was out but you. What's the matter with you? And I panicked a little bit because it's a very secular country. And the only words that came into my head in the locker room with 25 other men, words were what my friend had said to me on a bus going to a soccer game. And I said, what do you do on Sunday? He said, I go to church. I said, why do you go to church? He says, because I follow Jesus. The only words I'd ever heard anyone say were those words. So I said in the locker room when people were drinking a cup of tea and reading the newspaper before we started training, I said, um, I didn't come out because I decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> and the whole locker room went, whoa, I know we're losing a lot of games, but this guy's gone. He's gone. His head's gone. Nothing came of that. <laughs> it wasn't great evangelism. Uh, and then at the beginning of the next soccer season, uh, the famous Billy Graham was in our country. And I was really excited because I thought, whoa, now then, I've heard about Billy Graham and he's brilliant and everybody comes to the front. So I thought, right. And he was, he was doing a talk at the stadium where my coach had played at the highest level of soccer, not far from us. Uh, we were at the lowest level of soccer. And uh, so we went, we, I said to the coach, hey coach, um, the season hadn't started. We were just practicing for the new season. It was pre-season. I said, hey coach, um, there's a really famous American evangelist. You know his name, Billy Graham. And back in the day, we all knew who he was. He said, he's speaking at your stadium where you played next Friday night. We haven't got a game Saturday. Would you like to come? And the coach said, oh, that's... I like that. That's pretty brave of you, he said. That's good. He said, I'll tell you something. If you can fill my car with people, I'll come with you. And he said, all the best. In other words, no chance. No chance it'll happen. So through the week, we're playing and training, playing and training. And I say, I'm saying to guys, hey, have you ever heard of Billy Graham? He's a famous evangelist and he's at Norwich. And yeah, nice one, Dan. Oh, yeah, yeah, good, yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Friday, lunchtime, at work. Finished training. 
I say, hey, boys, come on. Listen, no one's doing anything tonight. We've got no game tomorrow. The boss, the coach says he'll buy us dinner if anyone wants to come. <laughs> I told the boss afterwards. So, Mickey, Mickey, Andy, David, all said, I'll come. So, whoa. So, I went to see the coach. So, I say, hey, coach. And he says, hey, uh, Dano. I said, you're good. Listen, thanks for letting me ask the guys and offering. And he said, no, you're welcome. Well done. I think that's real good to try. I said, great. Well, we'll leave at 4.30 then. <laughs> now, I go to the event. And I'm thinking, right, you know, I've seen this on the television. Billy Graham will speak. And all my pals on the coach. Like nobody was a Christian in English soccer. And that, whoa, we'll start it here. Something they'll all go to the front. And Billy Graham says, would you like to come? Your friends will wait. And I'm saying, I'll wait. I'm not even driving. I'll wait. It's not my car. I'm watching the boys. You know, you can't say anything. You can't say anything, right? I'm going, go on, Lord, go on. Go on. I've been a Christian about six months. Go on. Nobody bats an eye. They all look at me and they go, what are you looking at? I say, nothing. <laughs> and they go, good, let's go. The, ga- the boss is buying us dinner. Nothing happened. I'm thinking, wow, is this how it works, being a Christian? And then, to make matters worse, a month later, a new boy came to training and he was brilliant. I'm left-footed. He was left-footed. Oh, he was brilliant. Oh, he was like way better than all of us. He'd come from the Premier League and he was a young guy and he'd been uh, transferred down one league. Oh, he was brilliant. And he played with his left foot. And there's not many left-footers. And I said to him, oh, you're a nice player. I said, and I named, my, I named my position without saying it to him. I said, do you play in such and such a position? And he said, yeah, that's right. And I thought, that's me finished. And he took my place. So there's me. I'm thinking, I'm a great evangelist. I lose my job. <laughs> Useless. No one gets converted. What kind of strategy is this? Now, you may be at church thinking, right, I'm not a Christian anyway, so that's a good strategy for me because it's rubbish. Or you might be here saying, well, listen, I've been a Christian a long time and I'll be, the wor- I'll be worse than you, so don't even worry about it. All right, let's see how Jesus deals with it. Enough about my stupid stories. You've got some notes there. Let's see how Jesus deals with this. Because, did you hear the story later about a guy earlier, somebody called Rich got out of a car and went to see somebody crying? Well, what a stupid thing to do that. Well, what was he thinking about? I mean, it's nice to be empathetic. It's a bit crazy to jump out of your car, isn't it? He's a friend, he's a friend. <laughs> we looked last week at Jesus was giving a training exercise to his disciples. And so what he does is he takes them in a locker room. And last week, you can see the message, he taught them two things. That if they panic, if they panic when they're telling others about him, they should reset on two things. The first thing was, he has compassion. He loves people deeply. Deep love for lost, leaderless people like me and you. Jesus' compassion, and then secondly, he says in the locker room, I'm in charge. I'm the Lord of the harvest. It's my harvest field. If you see people come to know Jesus, fabulous, good, great. If you don't, fabulous, good, great, because you know what? I'm in charge, and I open blind eyes, and I build the church. This week, therefore, he sends them out of the locker room and says, good, let's practice. We're going on to the field, let's practice. And today, we're going to see how he walks them through a practice. 
Have a look at it with me. Well, the first line uh, goes like this. Uh, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Now, when you see the list of disciples, it sort of makes you feel okay as a Christian, really. You think, well, I'm not as bad as this lot. Because in here... Uh, the guy who's writing the book itself, Matthew, was a tax collector. Matthew, therefore, collaborated with the Roman authorities in this country. And I don't know, if you lived in Cardiff, because I'm living in the pretend Cardiff. I, I come from the real Cardiff, and for two weeks I'm living in the pretend Cardiff. <laughs> by the sea. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, A tax collector would be like somebody who grew up in Cardiff by the sea and you were invaded by a foreign enemy and they worked with the enemy to say who was the richest and who was the poorest in Cardiff. Well, they're all rich, obviously, but who was the richest and who was the poorest? And, uh, and then how to get the taxes out of them. So a tax collector was a disgrace. Matthew's one of the disciples. He's the author. There's a guy in there called Simon the Zealot. So he's a terrorist. That's a zealot was a member of the terrorist party who are trying to kill, kill the Romans and people who collaborated with them. He's in the same room as the tax collector, as a follower of Jesus. And also in there is Judas Iscariot, who ends up betraying him. So I'll tell you now, this is a dodgy group of people. His 12. <laughs> now if we're going to talk about a new year and a new start and school terms and all that happens, man, and you think, right, what would it be like to be a follower of Jesus who makes a difference this year? I hope you're encouraged because the strategy he has is to send these idiots out to try and change the world 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so really, you've, if you're not a Christian yet, you think, well, I couldn't do this. You think, well, see this lot. Yes, you could. And if you're saying, I'm useless at it, you say, well, you can't be as useless as this lot. So take heart. It's a pretty negative way to start, but take heart. That's who they are. Now, see what he does. He, he tailors the practice to them. Look at, the, look at the next couple of lines with me, uh, through verses 5 through 8. If you look closely at verse 5, you'll see that he's a brilliant coach because he tailors the practice to them. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or the towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. He says to them, it's pretty simple it's too complicated. You'll never talk to the Gentiles. That's too complicated. One day when the Holy Spirit comes and I've left this world, go to all nations. That's the end of the gospel account of Matthew. But for now, just go to people you get, people like you, people from your culture. It's a practice. It's a training. Okay, guys? Just go to the Jewish villages around here. You probably know the families. J just go and say something, and we'll come back to what they say. So it's a small training exercise. I mean, there is one thing different about them to us. Look at 4 and 8, and, and we must recognize this. Jesus takes these 12, and I joke, you know, because they are a, a, a rough bunch. But in the end, you have a New Testament in front of you, because these guys were eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and many of them gave up their lives after Jesus had gone back to heaven, and they saw it all, and they were the eyewitnesses that are responsible for the New Testament in your hand. So, of course, I jest that they were ropey and rough, uh, they were, but God used them in a way that he can't use us because we can't write the New Testament. <laughs> they did. And so they are special. Look at verse uh, 4. He gave them authority at will. They could do what Jesus could do. Some say we can do some of this. Some say we can do all of it. Some say we can do none of it. It's been a debate for 2,000 years. But one thing's for sure. These guys could 
drive impure spirits out, heal any disease and sickness, heal the sick, raise the dead, verse 8, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. The Apostle Paul, later in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, describes an apostle. And he says, let me define an apostle for you. An apostle is somebody who can do signs, wonders, and miracles. And he's defending himself when people say he's not an apostle. The marks of an apostle of Jesus are they could do the things he could do. Pretty remarkable. Now you might say to me, well, how can you compare how we do witness to them then? Well, indulge me, because it's not my expertise, it's the Bible's expertise that we must look at together. And let's look at the text and see what we get from it. If Jesus is tailoring a practice session to you in North Coast Calvary Chapel today, what does it look like? And what does it look like for me? It's really simple. There's three things here. Stick in them with me and let's have a look at them. This is really important. The first thing he says to them is, speak about me. Look at verse 7. And this is before the disciples do any miracles. As you go, proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. They haven't done anything yet. They haven't touched anybody. He says, the first thing to do, if you dare to be a follower of Jesus, and you should be not be surprised now, I need to be a bit more um, bold with you as a visitor. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this is what it looks like to be a follower. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to ask him to help you to walk out of the room today with this, these three things in mind. Because it's exhilarating. Scary, but exhilarating, like all the scary things. Here's the first thing. As you go, proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, say something. My silly friend on a team bus, the senior, just said, I go to church. I said, why you go to church? He said, I follow Jesus. It was a terrible effort. He couldn't answer any of my questions. But he said something. Ladies and gentlemen, the apostle Paul writes to a church in Thessal Thessalonica, Greece, that he set up, and it was a vibrant church in the New Testament. And in the second chapter of his first letter, he writes to, with gratitude to this church. And you get an insight into how he started churches. And he says this to them. When we were with you, we loved you so much, we shared with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. Do you hear those two things? I'll say them again. When we were with you, when we came to your city, no church, we loved you so much, we shared with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. In my country, we think it's the other way around. We think we loved you so much that we shared with you our lives, and we hoped you'd see how nice we were so that maybe one day you would ask us something about the Jesus that we believe in. I wouldn't mind 10 bucks for every time I've had a conversation with somebody who says, well, look, I try and be honest and truthful. I know I fail. I'm a fractured human being, but I do my best. And I try and be honest at work and a good worker. And I, I get it wrong, but I, I think my standards are good because I follow Jesus and, and I say has anyone ever asked you about Jesus say no it's a bit disappointing really but I'm hoping for the opportunity now please forgive me if this sounds a bit harsh your country is not quite as secular as mine but you're not far away 
You make a big mistake if you think somebody can join the dots. If, if Richard had got out of the car and said, I'm so sorry you're crying. I'm so, so sorry. What's the problem? I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. And jumped in the car and gone again. They'd have said, what a, well, what a tender soul, right? What, what did he say? I, I play keyboards at a church. It might help you to go to church. See, he said something about the kingdom. Do you see that? Do you see what he did? And then that person could say, I've just aligned really sensitive behavior to Jesus. Now, friends, you don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be a preacher. My friend, the senior, hadn't been to seminary. He just said, I follow Jesus. Rich just said, it's a church up the road. You just try it. People don't line up what kind of human being you are to Jesus unless they know that Jesus is in you. It, it, I'm happy for you to argue about this, you know, and debate it, but I, I want to put it to you, the, the, apostle, uh, the apostles here, and Jesus says, say something. And sometimes it's the hardest thing to do. I went to church. I read a good thing in the Bible. I've got a great friend who's a Christian who helps me sometimes. Oh, yeah, we, Sunday we go to North Coast Calvary Chapel. Anything that gives somebody the chance to do the next bit. Here's the next bit. I've called it be a good friend. <laughs> I know it's so simple, isn't it? You're thinking, you know, you, you have to be some great preacher or something. The Lord Jesus is sending them on a training run, on a practice exercise. So he's showing them how it works. And as we read it today, we say, well, okay, I may not be an apostle, but how does it work, Jesus? Okay, you're the Lord of the harvest. You're in charge anyway. So you open people's eyes, not me. Okay, fine, I can relax with that. There's no pressure to win. Okay, you love people more than I do because I don't want to say anything to anybody because it's a bit awkward. But you love them and you love me. So, okay, I got it. Something about the kingdom. Next, what happens? By the way, Leprosy is contagious. If you touch a leper, you get leprosy. So, so look at verse 8. He says to these particular boys, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Well, maybe or maybe we can't do that. But I'll tell you something, even if you can cleanse a leper, you've got to touch a leper. <laughs> you'll never cleanse a leper without touching a leper. And you'll never, ever make a difference in someone's lives without touching the mess. Isn't that right? Amen. Oh my gosh, imagine the mess in our lives. There's so many of us in the room today. Imagine the things one step under the surface that break our hearts. My goodness, we'd be here for about 50 years talking about them, wouldn't we? Because it's just life, a broken world. And Christ comes into this world and he says this, this is gorgeous. Freely, verse eight, freely you have received he says to the twelve, this rebellious group, freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper in your belts, in your pocket. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his keep. What he's actually saying is, it doesn't really matter how rich you are. Look, gold, silver, copper. If you say something about me, you immediately become vulnerable. And by the way, don't trade off the fact that you have money or power or strength. 
It's not about an extra shirt or sandals or a staff. And actually, it's not the opposite either. It's not about how weak you are or how poor you are. It's not about beauty or not being pretty or handsome. It's not about wealth or being poor. It's not about anything human, he says. I want you to present yourself with vulnerability. And look, I'm not saying it may take a certain kind of person to jump out of a, a car on a 101. It would take another kind of person to jump out of a car on the five, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, it, on the 101. But do, do you see what happens there? There's something vulnerable. You, you can't trade off anything about your status in that 15 seconds, right? You, there's nothing about your status here. You just, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Look, so, gee, whatever's happening, there's somebody who can help. He's called Jesus. You may not want to know, but here's somewhere you could find out. What's happened there? The two things align. Vulnerability of the Christian and the willingness to just be a friend even to a stranger. It's the New Testament story, isn't it? Be a friend to a stranger. So friends, I hope you didn't come expecting anything sophisticated when we looked at this passage because he says, I've got it. I'm in charge. I'll do what I need to do. I've got more compassion than you. All you need to do is Act on this, say something, and be a genuine friend. But make sure you do it in that order and do both. Don't be all talk and no action. And the last bit. I haven't heard many messages on this third thing that he says. So you, look, you don't have to help me. I'm, I, I've had a week to prepare this. You need to think about it for yourselves. Don't trust my take on this. We, we have to read what it says and say, is this what the Holy Spirit told Matthew? Is this what Jesus meant? And does, is the preacher saying accurately what it means? You know, it's your job. So have a look at it with me and I'll do my best with you. I've called it never say never. But you'd think of a better heading. Never say never. Let's read 11 to 15. He says to them, okay, say something, back it up. Humbly, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than that town. Now, the great reason for coming to church and small groups is to have the scripture in front of us and say, okay, what's he he talking about? And what does that mean for me today? Because everything in scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, training, correcting. I think what the author is saying in the power of the Holy Spirit here to the listener at the time and to the reader today goes something like this how do you work out who is open to the gospel in verse 11 it says some worthy person Luke in another account of the life of Jesus translates that phrase the person of peace or shalom it's the person of peace so there you are going about your life going about your business my senior friend goes to play cricket sits next to a sophomore gets conversing says something about Jesus backs it up by being a really kind guy speaking but sitting by a kid who shouldn't be on the team bus 
I think he should have been, if he'd have read this, he wouldn't have known it at the time maybe, he's looking for somebody who is some warmth or hunger for the conversation. A person of peace, because in the Middle East, to this day, if somebody says, come into my house, into my home, 11 and 12, if you're welcomed into a home, like here really, isn't it? Like the West really, to a large extent, it's a pretty intimate thing to invite someone into your home. Re you know, unless you know them really, really well, and they're your neighbors, to say, come to my home, I'd love to see you. You're kind of going right inside the life of people, right? So what he's saying here is, if somebody says, look, I kind of like a little bit of what you're saying. Come closer. L let's talk. I'd like to hang out a bit. I mean, it, it's so unsophisticated. Jesus says, hey, Christian, this is how it works. This is my strategy. Go about your business. Be normal. A and of course, if you're not normal, don't worry. Because you'll probably get talking to people a bit like you. And they won't be normal either. But you should, I mean, you're all not normal now, so you're normal. Got it? So don't worry too much about that bit. Just be kind of normal. S speak. Speak about things that go on in life and say something about the kingdom. Back it up by being the woman or the guy who just tries to be the real deal with your failures. But then here's the great thing for me in this. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. Keep your heart open. Keep your mind open. Don't negotiate people out. Don't say, well, I work with 10 people, there's three of them, they're just losers. I mean, they n I never want to spend time with them. I mean, they'd never become a Christian because I can't be bothered. That's three gone. Don't negotiate people away. All we're looking for is people who have shalom when you say something and you live there. That's all he's saying. Look for people who have warmth and hunger to you. In any town or village, do you see it there? Whatever town or village, not the town or village that you like. Not the comfortable people you know well. I mean, don't negotiate. I mean, just be the real deal. Just be true and real and fractured all at once. Say something about church, something about the kingdom, something about Jesus, something you've read, something that's excited you about him, something that's hurting you, but you have a helper at the moment. Back it up by loving the person authentically, if they're close friends or don't know them at all or anywhere in the middle, just be real. But keep your heart and eyes and mind open for somebody who responds. In some way, it could be an argument, a debate. It can be anything, anything. But there's warmth, hunger, shalom. And look what the Lord Jesus says. Verse 14, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that town and shake the dust off your feet. Now, he's not saying, it seems to me, if somebody doesn't want to engage at all with what you've just said about Jesus, at all, leave them. Kick your feet, shake the dust off, walk away. Because there'll be people in this room who have children and brothers and sisters and parents and best friends who aren't Christians. You're not going to say, see you later. But what you will do, and you'll know this, right? You will find yourself saying, well, I can't keep talking about Jesus every time I see them because they'll never talk to me again, right? When you read the text, what he's actually saying is, treat people sensibly. Be bold enough to say something of the kingdom. Back it up by trying to be the real deal in the power of Jesus. But use your intelligence. Look for warmth and hunger. But don't annoy people 
if they don't want to talk anymore because you're not the Lord of the harvest. Do, do you see this? I find it quite exhilarating because it explains much that you think, well, shall I keep, every time I see them, shall I give them a book or a tract? Or you, you think, boy, you know, shall I? Well, you know deep down that's, that's just not intelligent and emotional. And yet you love them, right? But this is when we forget who the Lord of the harvest is and we forget his third instruction. Never say never. I've got a friend called Mark. I had this conversation with Mark. How do we weekend go, Mark? This was at work a few years ago. He's, yeah, yeah, good, Dano. Yeah, youth team one on Saturday. Good. What about you? Yeah, uh, yeah well, the first team one Saturday was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, what about Sunday? Uh, what did you do then Sunday, Dano? Because he'd been to see his parents. He was a young guy, 25. I said, oh, I went to church. I cleared a good talk on whatever it was. I said, have you ever been to church? Uh, he said, uh, yeah, I have actually. My parents sing in uh, concerts and things and are sung in churches. I said, what, did you enjoy it? I just asked questions, right? Did, uh, did you ever hear a message in church? Yeah, I did twice actually. <laughs> actually really good. So, so you believe all that? Yeah, I do, yeah. Well, listen, if you ever want to talk about it, um, you just ask me. Yeah, well, yeah, great. That was three years ago. He's in church. He was in church today, I'm sure. It was a while ago now. He was in church today. He, he, he walks with Jesus. That was Mark. But then, uh, I think of John. I bumped into John about a year ago at something, and we got chatting, the same kind of conversation, but the other way around. I can, make, I can have the conversation about last weekend until Wednesday. What did you do at the weekend? Then I ask them, and sometimes they ask me, and then I say something about church and ask a question. And then on Wednesday, I say, what are you doing next weekend? And they might ask me what I'm doing next weekend. Ask a question. Look for warmth. Look for hunger. Look for something. And uh, John, I'm in a conversation with John. But you know Tommy? <clears throat> Tommy was... Uh, Tommy came for about a year to sit and have a coffee and look at the Bible and came to church a few times. And then I started getting that great text when we were meeting up. Uh, sorry, Dan, I was struggling to make it. You know what that means. I mean, it couldn't happen 30 years ago. It means I really don't want to come. And a text is great with five minutes to go. Struggling, can't make it. So after it happened twice, I saw Tommy. We were playing soccer, playing veteran soccer. So me and Tommy were walking on the pitch. I say, Tommy, you've struggled to meet a couple of times now. He said, yeah. I said, listen, mate, you're 40, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, yeah. I said, well, look, you're 10 years, eight years ago, I'm 10 years younger than me. I said, listen, Tom, something really important to me here, I'm shaking the dust off my feet. Tommy, I really like playing soccer with you, and you wouldn't score goals if I wasn't playing, because I always give you the ball to score. So you need me. So you know what I need you to tell me, Tommy? If you don't want to meet me to talk about Jesus anymore, you just have to tell me, because you're a grown man and we're friends. And he said, Dan, thanks very much. I don't want to. It's not for me. Look, you know, I've left my wife. I've moved in with somebody. I'm not going to go back. And something tells me I'm going to have to fix it if I'm not doing it. I felt I had to say to Tommy because he knew the gospel. Verse 15. Sodom and Gomorrah were judged by God, weren't they? In the Old Testament. I love Tommy enough to share with him not only my life but the gospel in the right order. I had to say to Tom, you know, okay, Tom, listen, I, that's fine, we're done. But there's one thing you need to know. Do you remember when we read that Jesus beat death and he'd come back to judge? I said, yeah. I said, look, you will see him one day. So you ju just bear that in mind. But hey, 
you know, that's, that's good, isn't it? Let's get on with the game and get in the box and you'll score a goal. Look, you'd think of better stories than that and better ways than that, okay? But I'm saying to you, get the big things right. He's in charge. He wins people, not you. Don't take pride or despair in that. He has compassion more than me or you. Three things in his strategy. One, speak. Two, be a good friend. And three, never say never. Uh, I need to draw it in. So, uh, does the strategy work? You know, the stupid 12 boys, traitors, collaborators, hot-headed boys. 2,000 years ago that happened. You know, there was no gun chart, there was no budget. There was nothing, just 12 lads. The question we should end with this morning, isn't it, is... Does a strategy work? I haven't seen my coach from that Billy Graham for 20 years. We had some conversations, but they never went anywhere, really. And I tried to keep in touch, but he, he didn't really want to. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> uh, Mickey, Mickey came. Mickey came because, do you use the word tight? Uh, tight, uh, mean, uh, greedy. Okay, good. Uh, Mickey was tight. Once I said there was a free meal, he was there. <laughs> I haven't heard from Mickey for a long time. Nothing came of the Mickey conversation. Four years later, David, who came with us, uh, I bumped into him at another team. Uh, and he kept away, really, after the uh, Billy Graham thing. And he transferred somewhere else, as happens in sport, and off he went. I said, hey, David, how are you? And I thought, ooh, he, he won't, because he hadn't responded to anything. And he said, whoa, how are you doing? Listen, I was looking forward to seeing you. I've been going to church. I go to church here. It's really good, right? There's a chaplain at our club, and he's a really good guy, and I go to church. I'm really loving it. I thought, whoa, how exciting is that? Um, one month after Alan came to take my place, he said to me one day, what do you do on Sundays then? Because he used to go home and see his mum and dad, because he was about 19, I was about 22. He's gone back to London, see his parents. Uh, I stay in Cambridge. He said, what do you do on Sundays then? Day after a game. I, I said, well, what do you do? You go, do you see your parents? Do you see your family? Yeah. What do you do, Dana? Oh, I go to church. Um, what do you go to church for? I follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. I said, have you ever been to church? He said, no, but I've always wanted to. A month later, he came to church three times. He said, can I come in the week with you? It was a midweek prayer meeting. Took him to the prayer meeting. What was I thinking? He drops me off after the prayer meeting because I drive a Morris Minor and he drove a sports car. And he dropped me off at his house, at my house. And I said, well, what do you make of the whole thing? It was funny tonight, wasn't it, going to the people just saying prayers for an hour? He said, no, I thought it was fantastic. I've given my life to Christ. I said, well, no, you can't. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Not converted. <laughs> I think he's converted. He's a Church of England minister now. <laughs> so he might not be. <laughs> no, he is. He's born again. I'm telling you, he's born again. He's top man. He's top man. Anglicanism guarantees nothing. <laughs> he's a good man. He loves the Lord Jesus. Oh, last story, right? Andy, Andy, 15 years later, I was in a place called Birmingham. I was speaking at a church. It was quite big, and there was a balcony. And I stand up to speak, and I don't know the church very well. And I think... 
Oh, gosh, I know that face. That looks like an old Andy who used to play with me. An old Andy, because he was young then. I mean, by now he was 32 or something. I don't know, he was old. And uh, I thought, that's weird. That looks like Andy. And I kept thinking, that does look like Andy. It does look like Andy. When I went to the door at the end, the lad comes up. He says, Dano, Andy. I said, whoa, what are you doing here? He said, do you remember that book you gave me? I said, you know what you do? I go, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> the cross and the switchblade. David Wilk, I know, the New York guns. Like it was the thing to have, you know, when I was converted in the 80s. I gave him the book. He said, I never read books. He said, I've read this book 10 times. He said, my wife met somebody who was a Christian last year. She went to an Alpha course. She became a Christian. I've turned to Christ. I saw that you were speaking here. I've come with her. I've met Jesus. Now, here's the question. Has the stupid strategy with the stupid idiots worked? <laughs> right? Has it worked? Now, it works because we don't know who's in charge. Well, we know who's in charge. We don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know who he's going to call. We don't know how it's going to work. But we know this. Say something. I mean, you now. Can I do this? You. Say something. You have no idea to follow it up. Just be real. And three, never say never. Never say never. We could do that a lot. <laughs> it's worked. And it's Sunday morning and it's about to be sunny. And you are in a building with hundreds of people when you could be anywhere doing real fun things. <laughs> You're here, right? You're here. Why? Because he works. He works. And he got you. So what will we do with it, my friends? What an opportunity. Now, BJ and the musicians are going to come and join me because we're going to take communion together to remember the wonderful Lord Jesus Christ who does this. He is the Lord of the harvest. And before we have our communion together, we've just got the most beautiful song about the Lord of the harvest and his unstoppable grace coming after us, never letting us go. And you don't know who you're going to meet this week who might be in heaven. I wonder if we can have a day in heaven when everybody was here this morning with the Lord let us meet up just for a few minutes and we might say uh, who's here because this lot, us lot? Who's here because of us lot? And he might say, hang on, I'll call them. And what if 10,000 people came? Because somebody came to Christ because of you and their child became a Christian, their family became a Christian, some of their friends. It could be, couldn't it? That's a week worth going out for, but it's all because of this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.